we're going to do our best to uh, try to get things underway with the limited amount of time we have. I'm just going to go ahead and go into our sermon. Um, in our text this morning, as we've read, which um, we've just read from Proverbs 9, uh, there we see that we have two opposing voices, uh, two opposing paths, two opposite roads, if you will. And uh, one cannot travel on both of these roads. These roads simply have, one has to be chosen over the other. And the first road is the road of wisdom. The second road is the road of foolishness. The first road is the road of divine invitation, if you will. Divine invitation. The second road is the road of devilish temptation. The first road is the road of life. And the second road is the road of death. Now, I want to begin this morning by explaining this glorious passage really under the heading of three thoughts or under the guidance of three thoughts. That's how I want to begin initially. And those three thoughts are this, the call that we see in this text, the nature of the call that we see in this text, and the ramifications of the call that we see in this text. Now, from there, what I'd like to do is uh, go to the New Testament for its light, and as we shine the light of the New Testament down upon this passage there, we're going to see very clearly how Christ is present in all this. And from there, if we have time, I'd like to conclude with a couple thoughts of reflection. So, let's begin with the call. In verse 3, we see that wisdom dispatches her maidens, or her young women, if you will, uh, to issue a call. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Well, the first question we might ask, okay, who exactly are the simple? Well, the simple are the naive. The simple are the, uh, the as the uh, King James Study Bible says, the ignorant. The simple are the ignorant, the thoughtless, the careless, the negligent. The simple are those who are easily misled, as we have observed last week. They lack prudence. You may recall Proverbs fourteen fifteen, which uh, reads, "The simple believes everything." But the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. So when the science teacher says God didn't create the world, and goes on to say, no, the idea of God creating this world is what the superstitious forefathers believed. No, this is to be relegated to the past and stashed with all the other fairy tales of yesterday. No, the world is the product of time and space. Over time, there came to be an explosion, and out of this explosion, things gradually came to be. When these foolish words hit the ears of the simple, they embrace them as science without giving much of a thought. And this is a classic example of Proverbs 15. You don't need to turn there, but uh, the first line, the simple believes everything. And it is almost amazing that intelligent human beings could ever have embraced a more nonsensical explanation of the origin of the world. Yet for the most part, as this has been taught out of high school textbooks and media for many decades, it's come to be embraced as science, as a scientific fact. If I were to set something as complex as, say, my cell phone on a stump out in the middle of the woods somewhere, and let's imagine that somebody coming along um, noticed this cell phone on the stump. You know, what, what do you suppose this finder would conclude? Uh, would, would he say something like, you know, given time and space, the cell phone is the product of some kind of explosion uh, that happened billions of years ago and it was just a matter of chance that it would find itself working and, and resting on this stump? Um, not likely. 
unless he had taken complete leave of his senses, he would say, you know, someone left their cell phone here on the stump. Um, that is completely logical. Cell phone cannot be created by random chance. And I personally don't know anybody who believes that. I uh, Maybe somebody does. I haven't met them. Um, but uh, when it comes to cre the creation of the world, the simple take complete leave of their sense and believe this entire universe could come into existence by itself. And this this is proof of the simple believing everything. And here I want to point out there's a bifurcation that's taking place here. I want to point out this bifurcation, if you will. A bifurcation is a division into two parts. And here is a bifurcation between how one views creation and how one views everything else. And I'm going to speak about that in a few moments, but let let, let let that linger in your mind for a moment. But uh, back to back to the call. Wisdom has dispatched her maidens, and they're calling. Verse four: Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense. Verse five: Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Verse six: Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And for the benefit of anyone who just logged on, we're in. We're in Proverbs chapter 9. So now you'll notice this call to eat, to eat and drink. Uh, verse 5, uh, come eat of my bread, drink of the wine. This is a call to embrace wisdom. And it's a metaphor to take wisdom as food, if you will, uh, as drink, uh, to take wisdom, uh, to find life in wisdom, if you will, to find satisfaction in her, to find sustenance in her. Uh, but wisdom is not the only one calling. If you if you look down to Proverbs 9 and verse 13 and the following verses, there we see the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And amidst the call of wisdom is this loud, clamorous uh, call to the foolish, if you will, or call of the foolish, calling to the foolish. She knows nothing, but she is quite seductive. And she calls out to uh, the simple, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So we have two calls. We have the call of wisdom and we have the call of folly or the call of foolishness, if you will. Now, let's turn our attention to the nature of these calls. If you look with me to verse 6. Wisdom, calling to the simple, says, leave your simple ways. Now, if all we had was this single sentence, we could easily detect the nature of this call. I mean, we, how, could it, how could it be in one's best interest to uh, not uh, leave their simple ways? Um, even if at this point we know nothing about these simple ways, it's certainly obvious leaving them would be in our best interest. I mean, the nature of this call is good. The road of wisdom is good. Uh, the nature of this call is good. And a few would dispute this. I mean, who would argue that foolishness is superior to wisdom? Again, I don't know anybody that would do that. But at the same time, foolishness is calling, and her words are seductive. Verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. And here we see the nature of the contest. Even though the simple would readily embrace wisdom to be superior to foolishness, there is this seductive pull towards foolishness, this, this magnetism, if you will. 
And woman folly is aware of this. If you look at verse 17, notice what she says there. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stolen water is sweet. We might say, well, stolen water is sweet to who? To a holy angel or to the saints who have gone before us? Absolutely not. Um, to a holy angel, the stolen water looks like sewer, sewer water. Um, as well as to the saints who have gone before us. Solar, stolen water is sweet to the fallen human heart. Stolen water is sweet to the sinner. And this brings us right into the nature of this conflict. It's, it's, a religious, nat it's religious in nature, and it's, it's moral in nature. And hence the reference to the high places. I, I made mention of this last week. The reader of the history books like 1 Kings and 2 Kings or uh, 2 Chronicles, uh, you, if you've read those books, you'll recall there's a frequent mention of the high places. And the high places are where apostate, apostate Israel built uh, their altars to their false gods. And it's here we see woman folly or woman foolishness calling from her house, verse 14, seated on the high places of the town. And here we see the, deepest, the deeply religious nature of, of this contest. It's a, it's a contest between light and darkness. It's a contest between righteousness and evil. And if I might return to the bifurcation that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the bifurcation or division between creation and everything else. A man finds a cell phone on a stump in the woods. He quickly concludes that a hiker or hunter has left it there. Why? Because how else would it get there? Uh, perfectly logical, uh, yet the same man believes the universe has created itself. Uh, now, do you see the bifurcation? Um, he is logical when it comes to the discovery of a cell phone on, the stump in the, on a stump in the woods, yet he is illogical, foolish, even foolish to absolute absurdity when it comes to the creation of the universe. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why is this? Why is that? It's not so much intellectual. It's not, it's not so much an intellectual issue. It's a religious issue. It's a moral issue. The creation of the universe comes with baggage that the cell phone in the woods does not present to uh, the finder of the cell phone. The creation of the universe comes with the baggage of a creator. And if there's a creator, then there will be a lawgiver. And if there's a creator, then there will be a God to whom we must not only obey, but answer to. And therein lies the problem. The problem is not even scientific. The problem is actually theological, and the problem is moral. The fallen sinner desires to plunge into rebellion against the Creator God, so to make it easier, the sinner desires to get rid of God. So um, the sinner desires to live as though God doesn't exist. What's the easiest way to do that? Get rid of Him. In fact, the sinner does not listen to wisdom's voice because the sinner does not want to listen to wisdom's voice. No, he has other desires. He loves the stolen waters. He loves bread eaten in secret. It's pleasing to him. He's born this way. He's born with a love to do the forbidden. He's born with a love of rebellion. And I'm hoping some of our young parents would return. But even uh, even as older parents, uh, we don't uh, we we know exactly what this is all about. We we know because it's hard work teaching. It's hard work teaching and raising children, is it not? In fact, it's the most difficult assignment that human beings engage in. Why is it so hard? Because you're raising a child or you're raising children who are in possession of rebellious hearts. 
That's why. When you call out to them with a voice of wisdom, you know that there's always another voice competing with yours, saying, turn in here. When you call out to them with a voice of wisdom, there's always another competing voice saying, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And what's so scary? What's so scary about all this is that we know how seductive those voices are because we have fallen prey to those voices ourselves, haven't we? Um, now, this leads to my final thought, the ramifications of the call. In verse 6, wisdom cries out to the simple saying, leave your simple ways and live. Leave your simple ways and live. To leave your simple ways will put you on the road to life, but to remain traveling on the simple road will lead in the opposite direction, which is death. And the ramifications of this choice are grave. I mean, how the devil laws us to sleep on this one. I mean, he, he really has lulled us to sleep. He leads us to think that wisdom, or the voice of wisdom, or these verses, uh, or even the idea of wisdom versus foolishness, he leads us to think that these are on the same playing level as like a diet or an exercise program, where we might say, yeah, I know I should get back to my diet, or I know I should get back into the gym, in the world, the devil and the flesh will lull us to sleep and leading us to think of wisdom's call to be really on that same plane. But if you look at verse 6, wisdom calls out and says, listen, leave your simple ways and live. Leave your simple ways and live. And if you compare verse 6 to verse 18, look down with me to verse 18. And there's something that the simple forget. Verse 18 tells us something the simple are blind to. Verse 18 says, the simple does not know that the dead, the dead are with woman foolishness. That woman foolishness guests are in the depths of Sheol, that is in the depths of the grave. Now, what is this saying? Well, it's saying that woman folly or woman foolishness is calling the simple uh, to the grave. Uh, the ramifications of this are incalculable. I mean, let's ask ourselves this question, what is the value of our soul? And what value could we put on our soul we will live forever, the soul will never die, and upon death your soul will continue to travel the road that you're on. Uh, if you're on if you're on the road to or if you're on the road of wisdom, then your your soul is going to continue to travel on that road into the arms of Jesus upon death. But if you're on the road of foolishness, you will still continue to travel that road, but you'll travel that road uh, and you will reach your destination in hell. Now, even when I say the words in hell, notice how out of vogue that sounds. Notice how, like, that sounds almost like uh, like it's uh, uh, some kind of superstitious thing from the past. Who says that anymore? Who, who actually says that the destination of foolishness is hell? Who uses the word hell anymore? And again, that's what I'm talking about, how the evil one has lulled us to sleep on these subjects. Listen, hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And these places haven't changed. Our culture has changed. Our thinking processes have changed. But hell hasn't changed. It's the same place today as it was uh, 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Okay, so we've looked at the call. We've considered the nature of the call. We've stared into the ramifications of the call. Let's go one step further and let's turn to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. And what we want to do here is we want to shine some New Testament light on Proverbs 9, which is uh, a really amazing, 
If you uh, turn to Luke 14, and in verse 16, there you'll note that Jesus says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And you'll notice the banquet theme, which when we read Proverbs, we saw woman wisdom was preparing a banquet. And, of course, uh, woman folly is making a counterfeit of that banquet. So we hear we... Jesus is Jesus is um, uh, turning to that banquet theme, if you will, and in verse seventeen, that's Luke fourteen, verse seventeen. Jesus says, "At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready.' Now it's interesting. Just as wisdom sent out her maidens to call the simple, the man in Jesus' parable send, sends his servant." Now, how do the invited guests respond? Well, they make excuses, verses 18, 19, and 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the invited guests each make their excuses. He says, hey, I've bought a field. I'm all excited about this field. This is where my heart is. I want to go see my field. Another says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Or to put it in contemporary terms, I don't think many of you would be real excited about some oxen. Uh, but to put this in contemporary uh, terms, it, it could very well be a tractor. Uh, or it could be a truck. You know, I just bought a new tractor. I want to go check it out. Or I just bought a new truck. I want to go look it over. Or I just got a new car. Uh, I want to go check it out. This is where my heart is. Still another says, I've just got married. And, you know, you read these, you see how timeless this is, how timeless the teaching of Jesus is. I mean, this this speaks directly to 21, the 21st century American heart, now, just like Jesus is saying the words this afternoon. And if you look to uh, Luke 14 and verse 21, having no takers, the servant uh, came, he reports this to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. Verse 23, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So wisdom's maidens, they go out again, publishing Christ's invitation and here we see a parallel. In fact, you see many parallels, don't you? Uh, there's a parallel here between wisdom's maidens or wisdom's young women and the servant in Christ's parallel. I mean, both are being dispatched to publish a message. And obviously, there's, uh, there's a, um, a parallel between uh, wisdom sending out her young maidens and Christ sending out his disciples, where wisdom and her young maidens, her young maidens go out and publish uh, this call to wisdom, whereas Christ sends out his disciples to publish the call to receive him in the gospel. So there we see this parallel. Now, it's it's hard to miss the parallel between wisdom and Christ. Last week I made the case that that wisdom in Proverbs 8 is Christ. And if you, if you purchase some commentaries on Proverbs, their chances are good that some of these, pro, these uh, commentaries will deny that wisdom in in Proverbs 8 is Christ. In fact, what a lot of modern commentaries say is that uh, that merely one of God's attributes are being personified, namely his attribute of wisdom. But um, 
The New Testament doesn't tell us that God creates the universe through one of his attributes. The, the, the New Testament tells us that God creates the universe through his Son. So I maintain against those commentaries that this Jesus is very much in view in Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 9. And lastly, we see a parallel between destinations. The road of wisdom leads to life, so also the gospel leads to life. Conversely, the road of foolishness leads to the grave. And if you look at Luke 14 and verse 24, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now what does that mean? Our present culture right now says Jesus is too nice for verse 24. We should get rid of verse 24. But Jesus is just. Jesus is holy. He, verse, 24, verse 24 is verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. What does that mean? It means they forsook the invitation one too many times. And now the door is permanently shut, is what it means. These people did not realize that when they rejected the gospel to look at their tractors, their trucks, their fields, they crossed a line upon which there is no return. And they thought that that day was just like any other day, just like today. Yet they were crossing a line that's known only to God. And once that line is crossed, there is no return. So having considered wisdom's call, we see it typifies the gospel call. We see the nature of this call. We see the ramifications and implications of responding favorably to this call. We shine the light of the New Testament upon Proverbs 9, and we see Christ and his gospel all over it. And so now let me leave you with a few concluding thoughts here uh, to take home. And one is the cost. We can read Proverbs 9 without any notion of the cost. I mean, what does it cost wisdom to take in the simple? If all we have is Proverbs 9, we could probably come to the the conclusion that there's not much of a cost at all. It doesn't appear as though wisdom has to go through any expense other than sending invitations and making the preparations. But here, the New Testament shines enormous light on this. Wisdom's call to the simple is a type of Christ's call to the sinner. And what is the cost? Well, we could start with the cost to the sinner. What does it cost the sinner? He must leave the foolish road. He must leave the foolish road. He must stop drinking stolen waters. He must stop his secret activity, which would include all rebellion, rebellion of every stripe. The chief rebellion here would be unbelief. The sinner must forsake the road of foolishness, which is the road of unbelief. The sinner must come to eat and drink of Christ. That means he is to find life, provision, sustenance, happiness in Christ. And how will he ever do that? How will he ever give up what he loves, namely stolen water and things that are in secret? And, and things that are in secret? We'll never do this till he has a new heart. And what is the cost to Christ? He must deny himself and literally take up his cross. Literally take up his cross. Jesus must forsake his life, lay it down in place of everyone whom he calls into his fold. He must take the penalty of every sin committed by every human soul whom he has come to, uh, to uh, save. Every human soul who will come to him in response to his gospel invitation. Was it for crimes that I had done, says the hymn writer? Was it for crimes I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity. Grace unknown. Love beyond degree. So we see there's an enormous cost. There's an enormous cost to Christ. An enormous cost. There's also a cost to the sinner. He must forsake his evil ways. But if we look 
there's also a, a rich hospitality here. If you look back with me to Proverbs 9, uh, turn back to Proverbs 9 and look at verse 1. Uh, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Do you see that verse there? Back to Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Wisdom has gone to the trouble of preparing a place for her guests. And notice the verse. Th- this place is no shack. Uh, this Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. This is a beautiful mansion that we have here. And I wonder, now this is conjecture on my part, but I wonder if Jesus did not, if he didn't have this verse in mind when he said this, uh, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now there's there's more. If you look at Proverbs 9 and verse 2, Wisdom has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. And here's hospitality of the richest kind. No expense is spared. And here also is a rich parallel. If you turn with me to Revelation, well, you don't, we don't have time probably for that. Just listen to Romans to Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and, what, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. What hospitality here that that, that, uh, wisdom is offering here. Um, But if you turn to see the hospitality that woman foolishness is offering, she's offering no hospitality at all. The only thing that woman foolishness is offering is the grave. Now, two more things. Hopefully we won't run out of time here. I'm getting little boxes on my screen saying our time is very short. Um, Two things, morality and God's glory, very quickly. Let us not forget the morality here. One of the problems with the modern teaching and preaching is happiness is placed in front of holiness. Let's think about that for a minute. Happiness is placed in front of holiness. The Bible does not do that. The Bible never does that, in fact. Holiness, uh, Holiness is always put ahead of happiness. But holiness is not even on the radar in much of contemporary church culture. But when we go to the scriptures, we see the premium that God places on holiness. God is, God's holiness is his beauty, if you will. And in the same way, a man's true beauty, if he has any, will be found in his holiness. Same thing can be said of women. Her true beauty will be found in holiness. Now, with a loose morality, with a, a loose morality, you cannot have holiness. What is right? What is wrong? Is it right to rebel against our Creator? Is it right to love stolen waters and deeds carried out in secret? We know the answer. Our children know the answer. We knew the answer when we were children. It wasn't right. We've always known it's wrong. So there is morality. It's immoral to refuse Christ. It's immoral uh, to, uh, to not believe. Unbelief is immoral. I could put it another way. Unbelief calls God a liar. To refuse wisdom is wrong. To refuse the gospel is wrong, plain and simple. To live as though God doesn't exist is, uh, is wicked. Lastly, God's glory. And this, this is my final thought that I'll leave with you. If you're, if you're on the road of wisdom, 
And if we're on a road, and as I'm looking at everybody that's here this morning, I, I'm guessing that all of us are on the road of wisdom. But let us not glory that we put ourselves there. As believers, we did not put ourselves on this glorious path. It was the decree of the Father. It was the accomplishment of Christ. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Father gave us Jesus. Jesus died for us on the cross. And the Holy Spirit gave us a new heart to believe. A heart that sees stolen water as filthy water. A heart that cares about morality. A heart that desires wisdom. A heart that loves righteousness. A heart that loves Christ. A heart that hates sin. This is not our doing, but the Lord's. Therefore, to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. And if you're on the road to glory, the road of wisdom, the straight gate, then praise God for all of the glory is his. And if you're still on the road of foolishness, then why take another step? Why take another step? Do you want to be three feet closer to an eternal death? Do you want to be three feet closer to an eternal cliff? There's a line. There's a line. There's a line near this cliff that once it's crossed, there's no return. Don't move any closer. Flee from this. Run to Christ, eat and drink of his rich and glorious hospitality. In our text this morning, we see we have two opposing voices, two opposing paths, two opposite roads. And one cannot travel both. He must choose one or the other. Now, one of the things I've kind of skipped this morning, and I, I, I save it for now, and I'll just leave this with you, is one of the things I wanted to tease out of this passage is its usefulness not only in sharing the gospel, um, there you can see, you can share the gospel from the book of Proverbs, which I think maybe many of us might have said, okay, how can we share the gospel from the book of Proverbs uh, prior to this message? I hope that in my haste of going through this in the short amount of time we have, you can still see how the gospel can be proclaimed from Proverbs. And actually, it can be proclaimed very quickly, but also, or very, very um, um, effectively, but also its implications for counseling. I've used Proverbs 9 a lot, actually, in counseling, especially addiction counseling and marriage counseling. And marriage counseling, especially when there's a third party involved, when there's an intruder, you know, when there's someone intruding into the marriage covenant, um, you know, th th that intrusion can only take place with the cooperation of one of the parties. And what is that party? What is that party doing? They're looking at stolen waters and they're looking at deeds done in secret. So there, you know, if you, if you, if you know any, I wish we had more time to tease that out. But if you know anybody um, who is in that position, and I know at various times we have prayed for folks that are in that position. Uh, Proverbs 9, take your friends to Proverbs 9 and show them their wisdom. Wisdom is crying out and calling for the simple to come in. And there is uh, woman foolishness. And what folks don't realize is that uh, she's inviting you to the grave. She's inviting you to Sheol, which is, which is the grave. So there we see the, the powerful counseling implications of Proverbs um, 9. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you, Father, for your word. And Father, even when it's preached hastily like this, Lord, you are still uh, working. And Father, I'm always amazed by how you work through your word. And Father, we trust in you that you are working in our hearts even now. And oh, Father, we thank you that in the midst of all the technical difficulties that we faced this morning, we have at least still been able to get uh, on board, not with as many as were logged on this morning, but nevertheless, Father, you've brought who you will. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you will uh, apply this word to our hearts, oh, Father, and cause it to reverberate uh, in our minds and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I don't know if you got time to close us in a song or not, Donald, if you want to try it. If you, if you don't want to try it, that's fine. Uh, we, we have two minutes, so I, I don't think so. Okay. Well, we'll just... Uh, um, Can't speed up quite like you were able to. <laughs> well, I hope... <laughs> 